seven o'clock so we'll go ahead and get started uh that seems really loud for some reason <laughs> for some uh we'll always start like we always do with prayer requests and i was given one right before we got started and that is uh Juanel thompson i had a pacemaker put in a few days ago or a few weeks ago uh, but it's not pacing the heart as it should so they're going to go down and look at the back side of the heart and look for blood clots or anything else that could cause Find a cause for why that's happening. So uh, keep keep uh, YNL in your prayers. Uh, make sure that that procedure uh, goes well. What other prayer requests do we have tonight? Yes, ma'am. Butch Moore. Okay. Okay. Serious condition in the ICU. Okay. Yes, ma'am. A cousin that passed away? The Webb family, okay. Sandy Bonham? Yeah. Right. I got fused backbone, fused vertebrae, the name. Brett Womble? Okay. It's amazing how much harder it is to hear up here than when we used to set up class back there. It's weird how much sound is lost going up here. Anything else? All right, let's go to our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the blessing to be here tonight. We thank you for us arriving safely, Lord, to study your word. We pray that you will watch over us, Lord, as we study, uh, that we will learn how to apply your Bible in every situation that we are faced with so that we may be better equipped, Heavenly Father, for battle uh, with the evil one. Lord, we pray that you will be with all those that have been called out and mentioned here tonight. Uh, we had several medical issues or either surgeries that were about to happen or surgeries that have happened. We pray that you will be with them. Uh, through those surges that are about to happen, pray that that will go well. 
uh, from start to finish, and the outcome will be reached. For those who have had surgery, we pray that, that uh, they will recover uh, as quickly as possible and return to their normal walks. Lord, we pray that you will be with those that are facing various procedures and other health aspects, that you will help them uh, in every way that you can. Lord, we pray that you be with everyone in this class, Lord, uh, to have an open mind as we study, uh, to have a desire uh, to get better as a Christian, to be better equipped, Heavenly Father, uh, to deal with issues that we all face on a daily and weekly basis. Lord, we pray all these things in your great and holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So last week, I did potentially the longest intro I've ever done to a class topic uh, for a variety of reasons. I did try to cover uh, some items that I wanted to make sure that we know as a class because this is the type of class that sometimes you can step off into things without meaning to. Um, well, we'll do a really quick review of what we're covering and then we'll do a quick review of the ground rules and then the ground rules I didn't get through. Remember, this is modern moral issues, modern meaning what we're dealing with right now in the society, moral meaning the difference between right and wrong, and the, the Bible is our, is our judge there, and issues mean what people are actually talking about. It's not an issue if no one's talking about it. I find sometimes we get hung up on things and no one even cares, right? It's kind of like trying to sell a product that no one wants anymore. Like I've got a great old TV with a huge tube on the back of it that I'm pretty sure no one even wants anymore, right? It's obsolete. No one wants to talk about those issues anymore. So remember that as the guide as we go through this. Uh, we would like to hear from you as a class what you would like to cover. Uh, we're going to dip our toe today in a subject that I think uh, is always relevant. One we should be very equipped with because we've been talking about it for some time, but it's definitely still an open discussion. Uh, but as you think of things, and we may be going through this class, and you may think, we need to talk about that. And you might find that I'm dumb enough to actually talk about it, you know, and I will. That's, that's okay. We'll, we'll get through these things. But as we talked about, remember the ground rules. I love you. I love your thoughts. I love your opinions. Hopefully you think the same of me. I like how you get through your decision. I'm assuming that you're making your decisions based on biblical principles. And I know that all of us are coming to the table with slightly different experiences in our lives. There are things that have happened to me in my life that has never happened to you. There are things that happened to you in your life that have never happened to, to me. And so as we go through that, we need to understand that. I talked a little bit about seasoning our speech with salt, and then I went through some Bible verses about both how that you may have knowledge, but that if your knowledge is a stumbling block and you're causing people to sin, then you shouldn't use that knowledge in that regard. That if you know something, you need to mitigate your behavior so that you don't offend your brothers and sisters in Christ. But then I, call, I talked about the counter side of that, which is you should not be a busybody. You shouldn't go around trying to find things to be upset about and then pointing back to that verse and going, see, they're offending me, they're sinning. Because there's a lot of verses, as you discovered last week, about that behavior too. And so we talked about how as we go through this class, that we want to make sure we're not guilty of either one of those things. We don't become offensive with our knowledge, but we also don't become sensitive to somebody that has a slightly different viewpoint than what we do. Some of these issues are gray. And I want you to know on the front end, I am okay with gray. Gray doesn't make me uncomfortable or bother me. It does a lot of people. Um, some things are very black and white. But as we go through this, I think you'll see that there is some gray. And how you approach these things really, really needs to be 
from a standpoint of the concern for your brother and sister in Christ. And so it's like I told you early on, I love you more than I love my own opinion. Right? So if we talk about what is the greatest command, and we even have a song called The Greatest Command, in the New Testament, what is the greatest command according to Jesus Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's not, it's not the fist of salvation. Anybody ever heard that term? Take the five steps of salvation and we beat people up with it, right? That's not how we want to come across. We're not beating people up with salvation. Now, if you're beating someone up with salvation, you have missed the point of salvation, okay? You shouldn't have to be beat up to do that. So that's not the first command. The first and greatest command is, one more time, And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm going to talk, I keep bringing that up because when we get into this subject, I'm going to need y'all to remember that. Okay? I'm just being candid. I'm going to need help with y'all remembering that. And as we go through this, I want you to know uh, that I love you more than I love my opinion. I want you to know that just because someone attaches something to Scripture doesn't mean they win. I find that incredibly odd. We feel like if we're the first one that can bring a Bible verse to a subject matter, trump card, I won. Guess what? I can make pretty much any Bible verse say anything I want it to. For example, I have heard people say, I changed my view on homosexuality because God tells me to love my brother and sister. In other words, I now accept a sin because I'm told to love the person. That, is that what the Bible says? No. Yes, you're to love your brother and sister, but you're never to accept sin. And so as we go through this, make sure that you understand that just because there sounds like a biblical argument doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right argument. Next up to that, it's okay if you don't win. I'm going to say that again. It's okay if you don't win. If they have done studies of cultures around the world. And as they have looked at cultures around the world, one thing stands out about Americans more than anything else. And what do you think that one thing is? I, th I think you said they have to win, or we feel like we have to win. We're the most individually minded group of people on the planet. And it derives from the fact that we want to win at everything we do. It is why we are simply the greatest country on earth. But sometimes it's why we're not very good at unity. Because we want to win every argument. There are arguments that cannot be won. And if you don't win or someone doesn't change their mind, it's not that you necessarily failed. What is the single most unsuccessful preacher that ever walked the face of the earth? Who is it? Noah. Noah. Bless his heart. Did he do anything wrong as he was proclaiming the word? Not that we know of. He built a boat for over a hundred for a hundred years, and no one got on that boat but his own family. That was it. So it's not that he lost. He tried. He fought the fight. Your job is to talk, is to have the conversation. Now I mentioned something and it freaked some people out. I will clarify that tonight. How this class will go 
is I will introduce the topic. I'll let you know what we're talking about. I will then discuss the topic from a biblical standpoint on what I believe the Bible's basic truths are about that topic. That's going to take 15 minutes or less. That is not the point of the class. The point of the class is to teach you how to have a conversation with someone about that topic. So what we'll then do is we'll take a few minutes. You'll talk to your spouse or whoever's sitting close to you or spin around in the pew and talk to someone else. And I will present you with a problem. And I'll just wait. And this is what's going to be weird about streaming and this kind of stuff. I don't know how this is going to work. We're just going to try it tonight and see how it goes. Tonight and, tomorrow, tonight and next week. And then the class is going to tell me their moments or what they learned from those conversations. Now, what's the point of that? It's to teach you how to deal with modern moral issues. It is easy to say something is wrong from up there. It is easy to say something is wrong from up here. It is an entirely different thing to go to someone and tell them, I love you, but this is sinful. That's an entirely different skill set. And be honest with yourselves. How many times in a church setting has anyone actually asked you to do it? I'm not seeing any hands go up. I don't know why we don't do this. We're supposed to equip ourselves for battle. Knowledge is one part of the battle, right? But there's lots of parts of the armor. Talk, get, somebody call it out real quick. What are parts of the armor that we're supposed to have? The shield of what? Faith. That's a big deal. What's the next one? The breastplate of righteousness. Live the part. Right? People should look at you and go, that's someone I want to be like. I heard something over here. The sword of what? The sword of the Spirit? Hmm. The sword of the Spirit. What is that? The word, it's funny, we seem to talk about the sword a lot, but sometimes I wonder if we ever draw it out of the sheath. A weapon that's not used is worthless. Knowledge without experience is just knowledge, it's worthless. So when I ask you to, and I'm going to use the word role play, which freaks everyone out, I'm not asking you to get up here in front of the audience and like have a conversation. That's not what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about, okay, this is the scenario we just were faced with. These are our thoughts, and we're going to share that, and we're going to figure out what is the best way to approach this. And I guarantee you, in a class this size, I'm going to learn a ton from you, and you're going to learn a ton from each other. So if you don't share, we're not going to have a very effective class. So now, topic number one, abortion. Is it modern? Sure, it's happening right now. Is it a morality issue? Yes. Someone's calling right now, letting us know it's a moral issue. Yeah. Is it an issue that people are actually talking about in society right now? Yeah. All right. So we're going to do a real quick scriptural review. And I told you this will take, take less than 15 minutes. We're going to run through what the scriptures say about abortion. We're going to figure out what the, where the Bible should land on it. But for me to sit up here and talk for 45 minutes about abortion is wrong, I don't think this class actually needs. No offense. Because I think you already know most of this. We're just going to do a quick review to make sure we sharpen your sword. Right? 
because that's the sword of the Spirit. We're going to make sure we sharpen it, then we're going to practice using it. All right, so that's what we're going to try to do here. Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. Absolutely love this group of scriptures. Love it. It is a phenomenal group of scriptures that talks specifically about when life begins and how we are formed. That's very important in the discussion of abortion because the central argument tends to be whether or not the baby, and I'm going to use a word that most people don't like, the fetus, and I'm going to use that word because that's what the other side uses. Okay? You understand what both sides uses? They don't call it a baby because if you call it a baby, no one wants to kill babies. But a fetus, eh, it's a fetus. It's not a life, it's not a baby. So understand where I'm drawing the line. Where I'm drawing the line, in my particular opinion, is conception. I'm not drawing the line at 20 weeks or 24 weeks or anything like that. It's not where I'm personally drawing the line. Now, that's up into, open to debate. You can tell me, I think you're drawing the line in the wrong spot. That's fine. We can discuss it. I'm just going to show you that this is why I draw the line right here. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Let's just stop and talk about those words used right there. Do you know that whenever the sperm enters into the egg and you have that first replication, you're just two cells. And within a matter of weeks, you look like a tadpole. Within a matter of weeks, you look like a tadpole. You're literally a blob on top with like a comma coming down off of you. That's your brain and your spinal cord. Let me ask you a question. Can anybody here live life without their brain and their spinal cord? No, they cannot. That part alone should tell us that first part that you formed my inward parts. Inward is key. We were not built from the outside in. We started with the inside and worked our way out. Your nervous system is the single most protected organ system in the body. The skull is the single best protection of the brain. It's the strongest bones in terms of impact. This is a crazy fact. Mexican boxers are taught to put their forehead into people's gloves as they punch them so they break the other fighter's hand. That is a stupid practice. But they understand anatomy. Then think about what's wrapped around your spinal cord. All those bones, all those pieces of cartilage that make it allow it to twist and turn. That's your inward parts. Then as development continues, then other parts begin to form. And you grow from the inside out. At less than 20 weeks, we now know the sex of the baby. We can see the organs at less than 20 weeks. So when the Bible says, you formed... Who is he talking about? See, that's not a trick question, class. I promise. Not a trick question. He's talking about God. He says, you formed my inner parts. You knitted me together. Do you know that the heart develops separate and apart from the circulatory system? I'm going to say that again. Your heart develops apart from the circulatory system, meaning the blood vessels do not grow as part of the heart. They grow by themselves. 
So when he says it's knitted together, he's actually being completely serious. Now, why do I know that? Well, because that big red-headed child of mine that you see was born with the heart defect where his aorta and his pulmonary arteries, the two main arteries that feed, that come off the heart, were hooked up backwards. Because for some reason, his pulmonary artery just got lazy and grew to the back of the heart rather than the front of the heart like it should have. It just got backwards. It just wasn't quite knitted right. But no worries. We just cut those arteries off, removed them, put them where they went, knitted it back together, and off he went. So that 14-year-old redhead of mine is our heart baby. His circulatory system forms separate and apart from his heart. Now you tell me that's an accident. Now your aorta, the blood vessel that takes blood everywhere in your heart, I mean everywhere in your body, does not grow as part of your heart? It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So yeah, you go ahead and try to draw the line of life wherever you want to. I'm just going to start right here at the beginning. Right there at the tadpole. That's where I'm going to start. Verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that it is a modern science conundrum that you know how to ride a bicycle? It does not make sense because of the amount of inputs that have to go into your brain about balancing upright, pedaling at a certain speed, and holding that to where you can stay up on two wheels. Because you are wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. And we know that when one thing goes wrong in the body, it's a major problem. We were just talking about Wynell is having to have a pacemaker checked out because the heart's not beating part. Why? Because something isn't right inside of there, and it messes everything else up. And we pray that that kneading can work back together and work properly. Why do we pray to God? Because He's the one that made it. Let's keep going. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This is an odd verse. And the reason I say this is an odd verse, it says, you were made in, I was made in secret in my mother's womb. It's not what it says. It says in the depths of the earth. In other words, my frame was designed somewhere outside of my mom's body. I'm going to blow your mind, class. I'm standing in front of you teaching you a class. I'm going to tell you right now. I have no idea what that means. No clue. Nor am I going to try to pretend to you that I know what that means or I'm going to come up with some idea for what that means. Because we should be humble and when we run across something like that that we don't know, you will gain much more traction with the person you're talking to when you say, you know, I don't, I don't get that part. The other parts I can explain. That one, meh, I don't know. I don't know. The phrase, I don't know, is one of the most unique, strong, powerful statements you can tell someone. Why? Because no one uses it. So when we get to sharpening our sword in a little bit, 
learn how to use it. I want you to practice that. If you don't know, if, they, if someone asks you a question you don't know, just, I don't know. Great question. Follow that up without studying it back with you. Follow that up with any number of things. I don't know what that means. Let's flip over to Galatians 1.15. Galatians 1.15. So that was Old Testament. This is New Testament. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace. Okay. Who wrote Galatians? Paul. What in the world could he possibly mean when he said, you set me apart before I was born? You called me by your grace? What's that talking about? Sure. Anybody have more than one kid? Lots of hands going up. Let's just concur. Every kid is exactly the same, right? No? I mean, two parents, same household, raised them, they're identical. No. No, my 16 and 14 are completely different. I heard it. There we go. I'm going to scoot it back down. Okay. What I was saying was that my 16-year-old and my 14-year-old are completely different. And if I don't prepare people for the difference and they think Tristan's like Isaac or Isaac like Tristan, it's not going to go well for Isaac. I know this because when I was growing up, they would say, Doug came along. He was so smart. Never said a word. Always behaved himself in class. Just an absolute angel. And then Michelle came along. And she was so smart, behaved herself in class, and she was just wonderful. And then Jonathan came along. And that's all they would say. My mom was told that three different times by elementary school teachers. I wasn't a bad kid to my knowledge, but I was different than those two because I wasn't quiet. That's the same way with my two. And so where I'm going with this is, what does it have to do with anything? What did God put into Paul to make him different than other people? His personality. It takes a certain personality to be shipwrecked multiple times, to be beaten with rod multiple times, and just keep going. That is not a common human behavior. It's not a common human behavior. So yeah, he was different before he was wounded. Before he was ever born, he was different. So if God played a part in how Paul was developed, the next logical step is he was alive to God before he was born, which means you are in the same situation because each one of you have a slightly different personality and a slightly different skill set that you have. And God made you the way you are. And that's a good thing. We don't all need to be the same. Next verse. Jeremiah 1.5. This is a pretty commonly used verse for the abortion discussion. I think you will recognize it as we go through it. If I could get to my little marker. 
go. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. No pressure, right, Jeremiah? Could you imagine being told that by God? Jeremiah, I made you for this specific purpose. Major confidence builder. But at the same time, like, uh-oh. That's a pretty serious job requirement. I better perform. That's a big deal. But again, if Jeremiah was not alive before he was born, how can that statement be true? What I hope you're thinking about now, as we're about to enter the phase where you start having discussions with each other, is I've pointed you to three different verses so far. How would you use these in a conversation with someone facing this issue. So that's where we're going to go in just a minute. But that's where the point of having this knowledge. That's the sword. We just got to learn how to use it. Now, we finished a class relatively recently on image. I think it was like a week and a half ago that we finished our Sunday class. So we're going to go to Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of stock, blah, 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 blah. Verse 28, he says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Why would I read that verse in a discussion about abortion? It's hard to multiply if you kill your youth. Yeah. Now, that statement was brutally honest. But it wasn't necessarily seasoned with salt, was it? Yes, I would never use that phrase. And that's, that's the problem is, I don't think we always think about how does that actually sound? Like, I said it, I'm like, mm, I won. And then I was like, oh, wait, that sounded terrible. Not because I didn't make the point, but because if I'm on the other end of that, I don't, it's not about me. It's about the receiver. I got to make sure I word that better. So we're like I said, that's what we mean by we're going to sharpen the sword. Let's go to Genesis 5, chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. This I find very unique. It says, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. In other words, if a man kills a man... His blood is going to be shed. Why? Why did God care about the lifeblood? Verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Does God take it personal when you kill a human being? Yeah. Yeah, he does. And so we need to be very careful when we're weighing those decisions. When we're saying, you know, when we're having that conversation with ourselves, I'm just not sure this is what I want to do. I'm not sure I'm ready to take on this responsibility in my life. I'm not sure I'm ready to do these things. This verse is very, very important. Because that baby has blood in it. 
And that blood carries life. And if we were living in the old law, there would be a reckoning required. In fact, there's a Jewish law that even talks about if a man strikes a woman that's pregnant and she loses her, that child, that I didn't go to, right? That's there. I chose not to use it tonight. I gave you four verses, four sections of Scripture tonight for your saw. I mean, excuse me, for your sword. I usually have to use saw at work because we say something about sharpening our saw. But anyways, it's a different, different analogy tonight. But with this, I've given you four skill sets. Those four verses can be the handle, it can be the guard, and each side of the blade. You can fill up the middle part of that blade with whatever you want to. But if you don't know how to take it out of the sheath, it's not going to do you any good. I don't think I have to convince you that abortion is wrong. I haven't seen anyone shaking their head no at me yet. No one. But this is what I do know. Based on the number of abortions, it has affected someone in this building. Somebody in this building has had an abortion. We don't know who they are, but they have. Or their daughter has, or their granddaughter has. It has happened. And they may have pains that we don't understand. So when we're up here thundering from the pulpit, we need to be mindful of the audience that may be receiving it. There are three scenarios that I think the average Christian faces that they don't even realize they face sometimes. Let's walk through these scenarios for you real quick. Scenario one, someone trying to decide. So you have in front of you a young lady or an older lady that's trying to decide between whether or not she's going to have an abortion. That's going to be your first assignment. What are you going to tell her? Now remember, we're told to season our speech with salt. We are told to make sure the beam is not sticking out of our own eye. We're also told that we're not to judge others. And suddenly we feel like we can't say anything. You, you can say a ton, okay? That's scenario one. Scenario two is someone that has been affected by an abortion. In other words, it's already been committed. What do you talk or how do you comfort that person? I think they're forgotten in the church. Okay? Scenario three is the one that's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Scenario three is, what do you do with the young lady that made the right choice after she made the wrong choice? What do I mean by that? The wrong choice was to have premarital sex and get pregnant. So now she's faced with abortion or keep the kid or give the kid up. She repents and makes the right choice. What do you do with her? We're going to get there. That came off real quick. That came off real quick. We're going to talk through those three scenarios. I'm going to tell you straight up. There are no right or wrong answers. There's not. We know what the truth is. What I want you to do for the next three minutes is scenario one, which is someone is trying to decide between keeping their child or giving that child up, talk to the person beside you and actually think, she's in front of me, what do I say? Go. You have three minutes. You all look very confused and irritated. I'm sorry.
Absolutely. And, uh, it's hard to be consistent to If you are listening at home, y'all keep, keep talking, nor me. I'm talking to people at home. If you're listening at home right now, uh, for whatever reason that you need to be home right now, you can do the exact same thing right now. You can have that conversation with yourself. You can make notes. You can do whatever you want to do. However you want to apply this lesson, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we have about another minute, and then I'm going to ask for feedback from the class. Working on concluding your thoughts. Three minutes is an eternity, right? Plenty of time to convince someone not to have an abortion. That may be all you get. At work, we call it the elevator speech. Make your case in 30 seconds or less. Hard to do that, especially a topic as big as this. So now, what I need to hear from you is what, what did you say? Did anyone hear something that was like, that was a good one. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. How Jamie counter that? Mary and Joseph didn't have any money either, and they went ahead and had their baby. And that baby did do something good because he saved So I mean, y'all can hear that. I know that. So what happened there was was she started off as a woman. She actually, they actually role played, which is excellent. So what Marilyn talked about was she started giving excuses for why she couldn't have the baby, right? Because by the way. When someone is faced with a life-changing event, that is the first thing they're going to do, is tell them everything why it won't work. Remember, we talked about this, Aaron mentioned this in the sermon, 80% of your thoughts are negative. So her brain is instantly going to flood with 80% negative thoughts about this child, if she's in this point. The second thing you need to know about that's very, very important, those are very real feelings. The third part, Satan is the king of deception. And he is going to weigh on her, especially if this is an unplanned pregnancy. I love Jamie's response. Jamie's response, her response was, I don't have the money, I don't have the ability to take care of this child. His response was, 
Mary and Joseph didn't have anything either. Where did he go next from that? That child changed the world. Man, great. I would never have gone there, by the way. Literally, in class, I just learned something. I never would have gone there. That's why I want y'all talking and not me all the time. If I'm the only one talking, you only get one opinion. Right? That's good. Anyone else want to share something on this topic? This is a big topic. Yes, Adam. One thing that I always go back to, whether it's abortion or just the value of human life in general, is that of all things that God created, we, the human race, are the only one that is made in His image. Absolutely. That's what he said there was. He always goes back to the entire creation. And the thing about the creation is amazing. Creation is all. Have you ever seen something in God's creation that choked you up? I'm getting a lot of nods. Yeah. And that wasn't created in God's image. Right? So bringing that baby to human, making that baby human as opposed to a problem is a really big deal. Now I'm going to share something with you that you may or may not know about. And this resource is close to you, very close to you. It's so close, it's 20 minutes down the road in Tupelo. There's a place called Parkgate Pregnancy Center. Sounds like an abortion clinic. It's not. They make themselves look like an abortion clinic because they want women to come there. Do you know what they do? They start finding them resources to pay the bills. And no woman leaves without a sonogram. Why do they not leave without a sonogram? We just made that baby human. Not a fetus, not a problem, not a drain on the bank account. We made it a human. We showed it's been knitted together. It's been stitched together. It's here. You probably don't even know you have that resource. I honestly was, I literally had a conversation at South Hill High School, and I was talking about opioids two years ago, the opioid epidemic. And I shared on Facebook my thoughts after I talked to our teenagers in that city. That city is a generous word, isn't it, guy? That town? Um, for two days. And I learned as much from those kids as I learned anything else. And that night, or two nights after that, that weekend, someone came up to me, and they said, so you do public speaking for kids? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, we need male speakers. And I'm like, okay. Odd that you specifically want male, especially in today's world. And she goes, uh, I work for Parkgate Pregnancy Center. Hair on my neck stands up. I'm rude. Fine. I'm not talking about that mess. And then I actually learned what it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can speak to that. You want to sharpen your sword? Go talk to eighth graders at Tupelo Middle School. And you'll find out how sharp your sword is. Trust me. Those people are doing work. Now, where I'm going with this is, is we have resources that we don't know about because we don't talk about them. Why don't we talk about them? Because Satan doesn't want you to know. He is perfectly content killing those babies. Perfectly content with it. He's happy. What else? What else did you learn? What else was shared? Any other stories? Someone said, that was a good statement. Got two, both up front. Someone back there. Uh, it's, uh, and it's the same concept when you study the Bible with someone uh, trying to uh, 
same control, but uh, if you try to make that situation so that they, it becomes, you are out of the equation and come from them, God. In other words, like you said, make it real. And I thought of something just now, I never thought about uh, a change up. But if you're talking to someone, they're willing to talk to you. First, first of all, thank you for, for talking to me and that you're struggling with this. That says you're talking about you as a person. So uh, tell me, and then you ask a question and look at you like you're stupid. And you say, well, I know you know how you but what does it mean that you're crazy? Yeah. actually heard you very well. You had a phenomenal teacher voice. Uh, what he was saying there was, what you have to do is make sure that you phrase it in a well, first off, thanks for coming to me. Because I know this is a really big deal. This is a huge, this is a life and death decision. This is a really big deal. So the fact that you came to me, really appreciate that. Right? And then you go from there into, you, he started asking questions. Well, what does it mean that you're pregnant? And that seems like a stupid question, but this is the part where the human body wants to talk and you need to shut up. I'm going to say that again. When you ask a question, you need to shut up. Why? Because if you're quiet, what is their brain doing? It's thinking. And it needs to be left alone. The Bible says be slow to speak. I think sometimes we're such in a hurry to win the argument, we just start hitting them with everything. There, there's your decision. And they walk away going, what'd they say? Whereas if you stop and let them think, ask them those questions, what does it mean to be pregnant? What would it mean to be an have an abortion? Have you considered? Have you considered what it means to be created in God's image? Have you considered what Jeremiah says? And don't tell them what it says. How many people in this room love to be told what to do? There, not a single hand. Wow. There are very rare moments where someone tells me, Jonathan, tell me what to do. That happens very rarely. It does happen, but it's a rare event. More often than not, they want your advice and they want to hear what your thoughts are. Walk them through that decision. That's how you start slinging the sword. I know that sounds weird, but think through it. Whenever we read the scripture, it says they reasoned with them. Doesn't say they browbeat them, doesn't say they preached, it says they reasoned through the scriptures. One of the ways you can do that is with questioning. So we are out of time. That actually went significantly better than I thought it was going to. I was terrified. Thank you. We have the two scenarios next week. So you have some time to prepare. But before we get to those two scenarios, I want you to read. Luke 15, before next class. Multiple times. And I want you to determine for me what you believe is the main theme of Luke 15. Some of you are already thinking you can tell me that, but I want you to read it before you tell me that. Read it multiple times. Now, why? 
Because remember, the next two scenarios are about what? People that have either made a right decision, or excuse me, made the wrong decision, it's already happened, or they made a wrong decision that was followed up by the right decision. So either way, you need to know what Luke 15 says. So make sure you read Luke 15. We'll set up those two scenarios, and we'll walk through. I don't want you just using your sword in the sheath. Let's take it out and swing it around, okay? Thank you. Have a great, great week.